Okay, guys, um, we're going to turn to the Bible in a moment. Today we're going to be talking about, from the Sermon on the Mount, on the whole subject of telling the truth and not lying. So to introduce that whole thought, uh, here's a clip from Shrek. You can't lie. Where is Shrek? I don't know where he's not. You don't know where Shrek is? On the contrary. So you do know where he is? I'm possibly more or less not definitely rejecting the idea that I undeniably do or do not know where he should probably be. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that position where you're trying your utmost not to tell a lie and you're trying to skirt your way around it. (laughs) Jesus had a lot to say about telling the truth. In this passage we're going to be looking at, he challenges the kind of religious viewpoint of his day. It's not just of his day, but it's, it's an attitude that pervades in our day. We try and figure out a way around truth all the time. Do we trust people just to tell us the truth? There was a, an older couple. It was nighttime, and the wife stood in front of a, a full-length mirror, and she stood there and looked at herself, and she said to her husband, Honey, I'm old. I'm hunched over. I look pale. My hair is gray. I've got flab where I don't want it to be. I've got wrinkles. <sighs> Look at me. And she says, can you tell anything, anything about me that's, tell me the truth, but something that's positive about me? And the husband's thought for a wee while. He said, honey, there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. <laughs> <clears throat> can you trust people to be truthful? Dr. Leon Keller Uh, The man who invented the lie detector, he tested his lie detector on 25,000 people. And he came to the conclusion that people were basically dishonest. Men are born liars. We're in a world where we find it hard to trust people. A two-year survey was carried out, published in the year 2000s, by the Josephson Institute, where they surveyed 15,000 high school students And they asked them about telling the truth. 92% of them said they'd lied to their parents in the last 12 months. 79% said they had done so two or more times. 78% said they'd lied to a teacher. And more than one in four said they would lie to get a job. We're skeptical. We don't trust people's words. We don't trust people from business. We don't trust sales reps. When we, uh, when we hear the news, we have questions about the reporters. When we have politicians, we question them. We question leaders, we question church leaders. There's questioning, we're skeptical because we've got used to not hearing completely the truth. And that's tragic. Do you trust an estate agent when they tell you about this property that looks so nicely polished? Do you trust the guy when you go and buy your second-hand car? Do you trust that person, that, that shiny car isn't just kind of filled over rust patches. Um, what about the tradesman? When the tradesman says, I'll be with you on Monday. What does that mean? <laughs> Sadly, that either means Wednesday or they just don't turn up. When the person says, it'll cost you a thousand pounds, do they mean two thousands? Journalists, do we trust journalists? Survey was carried out. Uh, by YouGov for the Prospect magazine. And it was published in 2000, sorry, in, uh, this year. And they looked at the decline in people's trusts of the media. Looking at how things have declined from 2003 to this year, the people's trust in ITV journalists 
have dropped from 80% in 2003 to 47% this year. People's trust in BBC journalists, uh, their trust rating has gone from 81% to 60%. People trust in the Times, the Daily Telegraph, and the Guardian has dropped from 64% to 40% in their trust rating. And the survey showed the Daily Mail and Daily Express had dropped 56% to 21%. And then the Sun, Daily Mirror, Daily Mirror and the Daily T- Star, which you all read, uh, dropped in, in trust rating from 14%. Kinda, that, was a, that was a good starting point, right? It, dropped, it actually dropped beyond that to 10%. Why did anyone ever buy that? It's like, you want to read some fiction, you know? I think I know why people buy those, but that's, that was a sermon a few weeks ago. Do we trust politicians? Well, on the, the famous comment on the BBC show, that was the week that was, a number of years ago, where the question was asked regarding Harold Wilson, the question was asked, how can you tell if a politician is lying? And the famous answer was, when his lips are moving. <laughs> can you trust your spouse? Yes, the answer should be. But for many, it's not been Yes. On Kilroy, again, you all watch this, a lady said that on their 25th wedding anniversary, her husband said to her, I love you till the day I die. And then two days later, he ran off with another woman. That, that wasn't a joke, okay? There are shades of truth. We, we cloud truth. We, we say things in half-truths. We kind of try and get under people's radar. We flatter for gain, we betray confidence. We say things to make ourselves look good, even though they're not entirely true. They may be exaggerations. You know, when we were kids, if we wanted people to really trust us, because we knew that just saying yes or no wasn't enough, right? So we had to have to make it sound stronger. So we'd say, cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Or, you know, we'd say something like that to make people really know that we were not lying that time. But there was the caveat, of course, if you crossed your fingers, then it didn't count for anything. These days, if you cross your legs, if someone's standing like that and telling you, I swear on my life, you know, you just don't trust them. They've got these little caveats of how to get out of, even when we make a sincere oath, I swear to God, you know, kind of fingers crossed, touch wood, that somehow or another that gets us out of the bindingness of that statement. This is the kind of stuff that Jesus was dealing with in his day, as we're reading in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And he was tackling head-on some of these self-same issues. Make an oath and then cross your fingers to get round it. This is the stuff that was going on in Jesus' day. Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it is said by those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord whatever you have sworn. But I say to you, Jesus said, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Religious leaders in Jesus' day had warped scripture to justify all kinds of nonsense. We looked a few weeks ago at how they used their religiousness to warp scripture to justify divorce and remarriage and 
adultery and all this, and anger of heart, and all these different things. They'd warped Scripture. And what Jesus was doing is he was saying, no, no, that's not what it means. This is what it means. Cutting right through it. To understand the journey Jesus is on, and as a bit of a recap for those who are just joining with us, let's go right back. Beginning of creation, God created a perfect world, no sin. Into that world, he created mankind, created in his image, as distinct from the animal kingdom. We were placed in this earth. We were in fellowship with our creator. We knew God. But right back at the beginning, through Satan's temptation, we yielded and mankind fell. Sin came into the world. Up until that point, there'd been no sickness. There'd been no suffering. There'd been no disasters. There'd been no disease. There'd been no disruptions. And yet when sin came, all of that resulted. Our problem, folks, isn't political. Our problem is not economic. Our problem is not circumstantial. Our problem is in the heart. The moment that the mankind turned against their creator, that was the beginning of all the problems. The problem's right in there. That's the cause of all effects. And that's the bit that needs to change if we're going to deal with our problems. So God created a world. Mankind rebelled against God. But God didn't give up on them. Even though they'd rejected him, God did not reject the world. So God started working with different people. God connected with a guy called Abraham. He promised him that he would have children even though his wife was barren. Lo and behold, through the miracle of God, Isaac was born. Isaac had a child, Jacob. Jacob had children and they became the 12 sons, became the heads of the tribe of the nation called Israel or the Jews. They were slaves in Egypt. They grew to about a million people there and God sent them a deliverer, Moses. Moses, and you read this in Exodus, how God used Moses to deliver the people of Israel from slavery and took them through a wilderness. When they were going through a wilderness, God met with Moses on top of a mount called Mount Sinai. And there, God gave Moses and the Israelite community the Ten Commandments and the law. This was God's ways for that society. And it was, a, it was an awesome truth. It was awesome justice morals. It was awesome principles that we can live by in truths. It was given, and then they embraced this and said, yes, God, we're going to follow you. Moses took them on into the promised land, and there in the promised land, they had these laws, and God wanted them to live by these laws. What did the law say about oaths or vows or truth? Well, this is what the law did say, Deuteronomy 6, 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him shall you serve, and by his name you shall swear. Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely, so profane the name of the Lord, your God, I am the Lord. They were told that they could make oaths, and it was a very solemn thing. An oath is literally when you are making a statement, but you've gone beyond just making a statement. You're saying, in the name of God, I make this statement. You're saying, you're calling God as your witness to the truth you say you've spoken. And also you're invoking on yourself a curse that if what you're saying is not the truth, then I invoke on myself a curse that God would curse me. That's what an oath is. It was, it was a thing that God put in the Old Testament law to prevent people to use oaths willy-nilly. It was a very somber thing. It was a thing to be reserved for very rare occasions where it was an important thing being said. So it was in the Old Testament law, no problem. But then what happened was the people were living in the lands of Israel. They had these laws, but then in the land, they started rejecting God. When things were going well, they forgot God. They started so-called living it up. 
They did life their own way. It wasn't long before they got themselves into trouble and enemies attacked them and God's hand of protection wasn't on them and they found themselves at rock bottom and then they called on God and God would rescue them. And then this would go on and on. And when they, when they were, God rescued them, they would say, thank you, God, and then things would get better again. Then they would forget God and then they would find themselves in a dip. Then they would call on God, oh, we've got God. And this was a cycle you see in the Old Testament. And then there came a moment where God drew a line and said, enough. And he allowed an invading army, the Babylonians, to come in and take the Jewish people from the land into exile. That 70 years in exile was an important 70 years. In that time, they stopped speaking their native Hebrew language. They started speaking Aramaic. Only the elites still spoke Hebrew. That was the rabbis. They were the only ones, therefore, who could understand the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew. And therefore, they went to great lengths to explain to the common people what the Old Testament said, but they didn't do it accurately. They came up with their own rendition of the Old Testament. Jesus wasn't challenging their belief in the Old Testament. Jesus, in this verse as we've been reading, was challenging their approach to the Old Testament, their rendition of the Old Testament. So you find books were published by these rabbis. One of them was the Mishnah, and in the Mishnah, you find there was literally hundreds of uh, caveats about types of oaths you could take. And this is what Jesus was challenging. When Jesus said, you have heard that it is said, but I say to you, he does this six times in Matthew 5, you have heard that it is said, and he quotes something that the rabbis have come up with. And he contradicts it, he says, but I say to you, and he reinforces what the Old Testament says. Six times he does it, reestablishing that he believes firmly in the Old Testament. Matthew five seventeen, Jesus said, before he went into any of these challenges, he said, do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's not contradicting the Old Testament. He's contradicting their interpretation, their wonky view of the Old Testament. So Jesus said to them, again, you have heard that it is said, by those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Do you know that Jesus is quoting something, but that statement he's quoting is found nowhere in the Old Testament. You've heard it said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That statement isn't in the Old Testament. He's quoting from rabbinical tradition. And he's saying that's what people have been saying. You've taken the Old Testament principles, you've warped them, and you're distorting it to justify lying. In the Mishnah, they had decided oaths that were binding oaths and oaths that were not binding oaths. For example, in the Mishnah, you found things like this, that if someone took an oath by the temple, it was not binding. But if they took an oath by the gold of the temple, it was absolutely binding. If he took an oath or a vow that included the divine name, it was binding. If you made a vow that didn't include the divine name, it was not binding. They said in the Mishnah that if you swear towards Jerusalem, it was binding. But if you swear by Jerusalem, it was not binding. <laughs> it's just nuts. In other words, they were using religion as their way of kind of getting around things, adding little kind of like cross fingers behind your back when you're, when you're making your promise. It's, there was their way round to maneuver the way rounds, being completely truthful with each other. And as a result, people were using vows willy-nilly. 
They were using it very liberally in Jesus' day. People were making bold statements that they didn't really mean, and it was bringing chaos in society. It allowed criminality to go on. And what Jesus was doing was saying, enough! And he was cutting right through that. Jesus makes this point. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God's, or by earth, for it is his footstool. He was there quoting Isaiah 66 verse 1. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. He's quoting Psalm 48 verse 12. And do not take an oath by your heads, for you cannot make one hair black or white or black. Even the most, what he's saying here is even the most precious thing to your head. You're not in control of that. He's saying heaven and earth, God's in control of that. Jerusalem, that's God's. Even your head's. God's in control of that. What he's saying is this, you can't divide up life. You can't, in one hand, just because you haven't invoked the divine name in your vows doesn't mean that God isn't involved with you making your vow. Just because you've taught, you haven't mentioned the name of God when you make a statement doesn't mean that you can be let off the hook for lying. It's like you've got one language for church and you've got one language for the secular world. And Jesus is saying enough is enough. Either you're speaking truth or you're not speaking truth. Stop trying to find your way around things. God is involved with all life, whether you invoke his name or not. Therefore, be truthful. And Jesus was tackling the heart issue and bringing them right back to the intention of the Old Testament and what it was all about. Jesus goes on and says, therefore, just very simply, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let it be yes or no. Anything more than this is from evil. William Barclay said this, the ideal society is one in which no one's words will ever be needed, will need an oath to guarantee its truth. That no one's promise will ever need an oath to guarantee its fulfilling. That your word alone will mean enough to other people that even without an oath added onto it, your yes is yes, your no is no. Many people have seen what Jesus is saying here is that we as Christians, we can't use oaths. For example, the Quakers, they have difficulty with court hearings where they've got to take an oath and swear to tell nothing but the truth. This isn't actually what Jesus is saying. We see elsewhere in the Bible that when Jesus was asked to respond to the oath of testament in Matthew 26, he did reply to it. We see the apostle Paul on numerous occasions in his writing saying, I call God as my witness in his writings. We see Paul in the book of Acts fulfilling a vow So it's not about not making vows. That's not what Jesus' point is. Jesus is saying, don't make vows the way the religious people are making them. Their way of making vows is their opportunity to kind of get around things. Jesus is saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be truthful. Be straightforward. Let people understand. And then he cuts right to the heart of what lying is all about. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. That's the English Standard Version. The New King James Version puts it this way. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now, whether it's evil or evil one, and it could be understood either way, we understand lying is from the devil. Jesus cuts right to the root. He said, "This this is the root thing. When you're lying, that comes from the devil. You're partnering with evil. 
Jesus describes Satan in John 8, 44, and he says that he is the liar and the father of lies. It was Satan's half-truths and lies that caused Eve to sin and be deceived. Satan usually comes very subtly, and instead of giving blatant lies, it's kind of twisted truth, half-truths, very subtle, but very dangerous. So that's what Jesus was tackling. I'm going to take you on a, just a three-step journey. I'm going to talk to, you, to us about how we can speak truth to each other. Then I'm going to talk to us about how God speaks truth to us. And then I'll end by talking about how us, we must be truthful with God. We must be truthful with each other. It says in Proverbs 12, 19, and 22, truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue only for a moment. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. There was a man um, who worked for Selfridges, and his name was Gibbo. He worked there for many years, and he died in his 90s before the millennium. He, he was a man of integrity, and he worked for the Selfridge organization for most of his working life. He worked originally as an office clerk, a very menial task. He was there, he was answering phones, he was helping around the place. And one particular day, Gordon Selfridge, the owner and founder of Selfridges, was walking through the office as the phone rang. And Gibbo picked up the phone, and there was a man on the end of the phone saying, hi, can I speak to Gordon Selfridge? And he said, let me just check. And he said to Gordon Selfridge, um, there's someone on the phone asking to speak to you, would, would you be able to speak to them? And Gordon Selfridge said, tell him I'm out. And Gibbo replied, you tell him you're out. And he handed the phone to him. <laughs> Gordon Selfridge took the phone and had the conversation. At the end of the conversation, he put the phone down and says, don't you ever, ever do that to me again. And Gibbo said to him, if I will not lie for you, I will also not lie to you. Gordon Selfridge recognized that this was a man of integrity. And he promoted him, and he came to the point where whenever there was a very sensitive issue, an issue where he needed someone very trustworthy to be involved in a particular business transaction, he would always ask Gibbo to be the person because he could trust him completely because he was a man of integrity and a man of his word. The Bible says truthful lips will be established forever. We must learn to speak truth. It's very convenient at times. Sometimes it gets us off the hook. Sometimes it's the easy thing to do. Sometimes it's the popular thing to do to tell a lie. But God wants us to be truthful. You'll see in a moment why. I think it's very close to God's heart that we're truthful. It says in Psalm 15 verses 1 to 4, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live in your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. He who speaks truth from his heart and there's no slander on his tongue. He who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord. Listen, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Who keeps his oath even when it hurts. You've, you've made a statement, you've spoken a word, and here the Bible is saying the righteous person, even if it's to your own pain, you will make sure you follow that word through. That's strong, isn't it? Angie was chatting to uh, Michael, saying dad's speaking about not lying on Sunday, talking about being true to your word. And she explained to Michael what that meant. And then Michael reminded Angie, mom, you promised that 
on my birthday, you would watch a whole episode of Star Wars with me. <laughs> and you'd never watch Star Wars in our life. You believe that? You believe that? So she, she had to do it. <laughs> so Annie, she absolutely loved it. Loved it. Watched the whole episode of Star Wars. Being true to your word. Even to your own heart. <laughs> I remember as a teenager, uh, I was about 17. I was two years a Christian. It was the day before Christmas Eve. And I was walking through George Square of Glasgow, and I got into conversation with the guy who was begging. He had uh, obvious drug issues, befriended him, we got chatting, we had a good long chat. And it, you know, he was concerned, he was, he was a bit gutted, to be honest. His Christmas was coming because of his drug habit. He's, he had no money left, and he had a little girl who wasn't going to get presents because of her, her dad's stupidity. So on the spur of the moment, I said, I'll get you lots of presents for your little girl. And I thought, why did I say that? <laughs> and I, I, I got the guy's address. So I went home and I thought, where on earth are we going to get this stuff? So I went through my house and went through and tried, tried, basically managed to gather together as many toys as we possibly could. I still played with toys of 17. <laughs> and I put together a box full of toys and got in the bus. Went, now he stayed in Thompson Street off Duke Street in Denison. It was one of the, you know, that street the month before that had about three or four drug deaths in that street. It was, it's a horrible street to be in. And I went to visit this guy with his box of toys. And he didn't, I mean, I rang the bell and he didn't have a clue who it was. and didn't recognize me at first. I mean, he was not in any way expecting that teenager who he'd met in George Square to actually deliver on the promise. But I delivered this box of toys and there was needles lying around everywhere in his house. And he was absolutely blown away absolutely blown away. He gave me a photo of his little girl, and I kept that on my, on my, my notice board in my, in my bedroom for, for several years, and I prayed for her. Uh, Alan Simpson, the guy was calling his little girl, I can't remember his, but it's someone Simpson. Prayed for her for many years. Be true to your word, even at the cost. Of, I, went, I ended up going into a horrendous street, put, found myself in a horrendous situation to show love to a guy. Be true to your words, even if it's costly to you. One of the constant frustrations our team leaders have here is when people agree to be on a rota and they don't turn up. <laughs> it's not been true to your word. You say you're going to be there, then you, you're not there. And you know the frustration that causes. Be true to your word. When you say you're going to do something, do it. I've, done, I've got it right sometimes, but I've got it right hundreds of times. I'm sure if I interviewed you all, I'm sure there'd be maybe a dozen instances where I've let some of you down. I'm not even aware what they are. Because we agree to things in the spur of the moment and sometimes we forget them. And if I've done that, please forgive me. I've never intended to do that. But we've got to work, I've got to work hard. We've all got to work hard, make sure. If we're agreeing to something, we are true to our word. Our yes means yes. Our no means no. We shouldn't agree to things we can't do. We shouldn't feel the pressure to agree to things. We've got to be able to say no sometimes. But if we're going to say yes, and we should be willing kind of people who are up for saying yes, we're up for things, right? But if we're up for things, we've also got to deliver on it as well. It can't just be the good intention. It's got to be the action that backs it up. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Paul believed in being true to the word. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is from the New Living Translation, verses 17 to 20. Do you think that I make plans carelessly? Do you think that I'm like the people of the world who say yes when I really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, 
my word to you does not waver between yes and no. And he's, why? For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom I preach to you as God's ultimate yes. He always does what he says. For all the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. The apostle Paul believed in being true to his words. Why? The reason he believed in being true to his words, the reason he had a conviction about being true to his words was because he had a conviction that God was true to his words. Our being true to our words the main reason we should be that is because that's how God is. In the same way, flip side, that lying comes from the evil one, the father of lies, Satan himself. Being a liar is being like the devil. In fact, maybe being inspired by the devil. But here Paul is saying that being truthful, being someone who says yes when you mean yes and no when you mean no, is exactly how God is. And he goes on and says, Because God, all his promises have been fulfilled in Christ. He said one big yes when Jesus came into this world. So you need to understand the biggest reason for being true to your word is God. And that leads us to this next thought. God is the speaker of truth. In the Bible, there are hundreds of promises. God fulfills his promises. You know, in scripture, there is 3,268 verses of fulfilled prophecy things that history confirms were accurate. God spoke, God fulfilled. Over 300 of those prophecies directly relate to Jesus' coming alone. When Jesus came into the world, he fulfilled hundreds of prophecies that predicted how he would be born, the political environment into which he would be born, events surrounding his birth, how he would live, how he would die, how he would rise, and the global impact that he would have. All predicted in Scripture, fulfilled, When God speaks, he fulfills. When God says something, he follows through. Hundreds of promises in the Bible. You can literally base your life upon what God says. Do you know that? You can trust what your heavenly father says to you. You can trust your whole life to that. It says in Psalm 119, 160, all your words are true. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. He's not like us, folks. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? That's a great verse. Let's read it together. One, two, three. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Folks, God is not a man that he should lie. God doesn't change. God says, God delivers. That's God. Just a note to parents. Sometimes we see this at supermarkets, the the mom and the dad saying to the kids, if you do that again, there'll be a consequence. A few seconds later, if you do that again, there'll be a consequence. 15 seconds later, if you do that again, there'll be a consequence. So I asked myself, was the consequence that you would repeat yourself? What was, what's the, where's the consequence, you know? Should, boom, something like that, you know, right? Or pull the stall on their heads or something, you know. 
do something, right? Run the trolley into them, whatever. But at least deliver on what you said, you know what I'm saying? Just joking, right? Just make a visual for you. But you've got to deliver on what you say. I think, man, what a message does that send the kids? So what about the day you decide to tell them, I love you, son. Now they're thinking, you always lie to me. Are you now telling me the truth? You're a parent, and that's an example of God, because God's the father. Your impact as a parent has a huge impact on how people will go on to view God. So parents, be true to your words. If, you say, if you're a dad and you say, son, I'll be home and I'll play football with you tonight, then you need to jolly well make sure you go home and play football with your son that night. If you say, if you do that, there will be a consequence, then no matter how awkward or how unpleasant you feel about that, you must follow through. Otherwise, it communicates something about God that's dangerous for the soul of the child. Be true to your words. Follow through. Martin Luther said this, what greater rebellion, impiety, or insult to God can there be than not to believe his promises? To not believe God's promises is almost accusing him of lying. God is not a man that he should lie. God's promises are to be believed. Charles Finney, who was an amazing man, if you read his biography, you read about how he ran orphanages in England and in various other places, and he ran them by faith. He knew God had called him to care for the orphan, but he had no money to do that. So by faith, he trusted God's promises that God would provide, and he stepped out. And God delivered. God came through. God provided every time. This is what Charles Finney says about Christians trusting God and God's word. Now, Christian, do you ever consider how horrible your conduct is in the eyes of an unbelieving world? They know that the promises your God has made, and they see your anxiety and your worldly-mindedness and how little confidence you have in these promises. They witness your carefulness and your worldly spirit, and they think in their hearts, these Christians know that God is not to be trusted. For as a matter of fact, they have no confidence in his promises. Is your life shining an example of someone who is dependent on God, trusting absolutely in the promises of God? Ian, who took up the offering last Sunday. Enthusiastic Ian. I wasn't here. Um, I was lying on a beach. But, oh, I really wish I was here, yeah. <laughs> Ian said... He quoted that verse, that promise. When you give, God will give back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. He read that promise. Now, I had a chat with Ian. Ian runs our youth ministry. Through the week, I was just chatting, catching up. And I was asking about his work. And he's saying, Peter, it's been an amazing week. And he told me the whole story. He said that him and Katerina had decided that this special offering were taken on the 21st of November. They decided that instead of going to Greece, that's where Katerina's from, instead of going there in, in Christmas... Uh, they would forgo that holiday and they would give that money instead to the special offering. I thought, wow. Since making that decision before God, Ian's work and the, Ian, the whole the work environment he's been working in has, t- has taken a massive hit, which impacts his bonuses and everything. So they were now in this situation where they were saying, can we still deliver on that desire to give that at the special offering? But they just made a decision. They prayed and made a decision. God, we're going to still rise to that challenge and try and give that same amount. Anyway, last Sunday he shares, 
give and it'll come back to you. This week, I met Ian and he said, Peter, my boss sat me down this week and he's given him a 100% pay rise on his basic wage. A 100% pay rise. That's incredible. God's promises can be trusted. True prosperity is not about what you get. True prosperity is God empowering you to be able to give, be a blessing. You can trust God's promises. Jesus is truth. Jesus, when he walked this earth in in John 14, said this, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is truth. Jesus said in John 18, 37, I came into the world to testify to truth. Everyone who is in the side of truth listens to me. You need to know when you are hearing the voice of Jesus Christ, when you are hearing the voice of God, when you're reading Scripture, you can absolutely depend on Him. Totally trust Him. Charles Edward Jefferson, speaking about Jesus, said this, There is something so pure and frank and noble about Him. To doubt His sincerity would be like doubting the brightness of the sun. Pilate said about Jesus that He was the man without fault. Diderot said that he was the unsurpassed. Napoleon said that Jesus is the emperor of love. Strauss said that he is the highest model of religion. John Stuart Mill called him the guide of humanity. Lecky called him the highest pattern of virtue. Picant called him the holy one before God. Martineau called him the divine flower of humanity. Rican said he was the greatest among the sons of men. Francis Cobb said he is the regenerator of humanity. And Robert Owen said he is the inapproachable and incomparable one. Jesus is absolutely to be trusted. His word is true. Your God can be completely trusted. And Jesus said many great things that were truths about your life. Jesus spoke truths about the future. During his lifetime, he said that I will die on a cross and I will rise again. And he did. He died on the cross for our sins On the third day, he rose again. If he hadn't risen again, his disciples wouldn't have caused this movement called Christianity that's impacted our world. Jesus rose again as he said he would. During his lifetime, he spoke about the future and he predicted that in that generation, the, the Jerusalem temple and Jerusalem itself would be destroyed. History tells us that 40 years after Jesus' prediction, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. So we, we, we read Mark thirteen thirty. I tell you, Jesus said, speaking about the destruction of the temple, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. He also predicted that one day he will return. Do you know what? The God who is true to his words will follow through. A day will come where Jesus Christ will return. And not this time in a stable in Bethlehem, but rather as king of kings, evident to all. And there will be a judgment day. Jesus said that. And some will be judged and sent to eternal damnation, others to eternal life. That's what Jesus said, and I've got no reason to doubt whatsoever that everything else he said is true. That will happen. That will happen. When it happens, we don't know, but it will happen. Jesus speaks truth about your eternal well-being. When me and the family were in Malta, I was reading through John's gospel, getting up in the mornings, reading John's gospel, loving John's gospel. I was gripped by this verse, John 5, 24. Listen to this. Truly, truly, Jesus said, I say to you, 
Whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. That's amazing. You won't come into judgment. You've already passed from death to life. Jesus is saying, if you've connected with God and trusted in him and believed in Jesus, you literally have already crossed from death to life, that you will not see judgment. But that's a serious, big, that's a get out of jail card free. That's a huge one. I mean, who wants to face judgment, right? Well, this is your way out. And Jesus is true. He said, truly, truly, I say to you. You see, you can trust God's words. Remember when Jesus was with his disciples and just fed the multitudes? And then he said to his disciples, Mark 4, 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And then they all got into a boat and Jesus fell asleep in the boat and they started sailing across the other side of that particular sea. And in the middle of the night, while Jesus was fast asleep, there was a huge storm, a, a colossal storm. Now, bearing in mind, many of Jesus' disciples were, were fishermen, right? So they were used to hardcore sailing. But this was just nuts. This was absolutely nuts. The, the, term, the, the whole sea was in turmoil. And Jesus was completely at peace, fast asleep in the end of the boat. And they wake him up. And they said, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to drown. And he stood up. <sighs> he wiped the... Uh, dusty bits of his eyes, and he said, he was a shy, he didn't get them, right? And he said, wind and waves stop, and it was complete calm. Then he rebuked his disciples for being unbelieving. I I can sympathize with him slightly, all right? If they just remembered what he said at the beginning, let us go over to the other side, he said. Well, isn't someone that he will lie? If he says we're going to get to the other side, you're going to get to the other side. So just fall asleep and don't worry about how it's all going to turn out. If they'd really trusted, they could have fallen asleep with him. He was completely at peace. They were going to the other side. That's it. See, if God has spoken to you about your future, has spoken to you about your spouse, has spoken to you about your answered prayers, has spoken to you about your big dream, it's going to happen. Furthermore, if he's spoken to you, and and it's not like you made it up in your head, oh, it was the Lord, no, no, it was you. But if it really was the Lord and he spoke to you about your future, and you know that, then you can go on an airplane. That plane ain't going down. Because you've got more to do. Right? You can, you can be in a disaster zone, yet you will live. Because God has said something. You're going to the other side. There's other stuff to be done in life. So we find uh, ourselves in a situation. I remember when we bought this building and the building in Leith. I remember thinking, man, we're buying buildings, we don't have the money to buy them, and we're thinking, God, how on earth are we going to provide for this? How are we going to pay for this? But having an overwhelming, huge sense of peace in my heart, knowing God has said. And that was the thing that even through the, the kind of craziness of it, even through the irrationalness of it, God's peace resided in our hearts, and sh- sure enough, every penny came in. God delivered. God can be trusted even when it's very intimidating circumstances. You need to know his word to you. The Apostle Paul, he also was in Malta. Not at the same time as me. <laughs> a few years before. The family was staying around the corner from St. Paul's Bay. The Apostle Paul was shipwrecked there, but before he was shipwrecked, he was in a boat, and that's what happens before you're shipwrecked. And then when you're shipwrecked, you're out of the boat. Acts 27, 23 to 25. 
This is what Paul says to his fellow people on the boat. Last night, an angel of God, uh, whose God I am, to whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. In other words, you're going to get to Rome. And God has graciously given you the lives of all those who sail with you. So Paul said to the people he was sailing with, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. You need to have faith in God that it will happen just as he has told you. God is not a man that he should lie. God's yes means yes. And you can depend your whole life, your family, your church, and your future on God's word. And the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked. Every one of them survived and they went on to Rome as God had told them he would. And then finally, we've got to be truthful to each other. We've got to know that God is truthful to us. But finally, we've got to be truthful to God. When Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37, let what you say be simply yes and no, he was tackling a religious system that had complicated truth and made it possible for you to lie, lie under the guise of a vow. There were certain vows that sounded very confident and very credible, but they were unbinding and you could get out of them. And Jesus is saying, that's just nonsense. That's actually from the devil. It's lying under the guise of religion. And that's worse than all. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But I also believe he was not just talking about the way we are with each other. Jesus was speaking here to the Pharisees. The big issue in the Pharisees' lives was they were hypocrites. And Jesus challenged them for the hypocrisy on many occasions. The word hypocrite means this in the Greek language. It's the Greek word hypocrites. Now, you could have come up with that, right? (laughs) Which means an actor or a stage player. Pharisees were actors. They acted religious in front of people, but more devastatingly, they acted religious in front of God. In the quiet of their own homes, they kept up the act. God is not looking for you to be an actor in front of him. He's wanting you to be truthful to him. It says in Psalm 51 verse 6, you desire truth in the innermost being. God wants you to have an honesty before him. God wants you to be honest about your life before him. You've got to be honest about a number of things. You've got to be honest in saying, I am a sinner and I need a savior. That's honestly step one. You know, if, if you're going through life and saying, I'm not that bad, I don't need, I don't need God, then you're not being honest with God. Because that's not what God says about you. Jesus who speaks truth and God who speaks truth in the Bible is very clear. You're a sinner. So honesty before God must mean you acknowledge, I am a sinner, I need saved. Honesty before God will say, Jesus, I accept you as my savior. And I believe you're risen from the dead. In my heart, I make you Lord. See, many people have gone through the religious steps, attend church, act Christian, But the reality is in their hearts, they don't see him as Lord. They see themselves as Lord. Yeah, theoretically they're Christian, but they're doing their own thing. But the person who has an integrity of heart, someone who has truth in the innermost being says, in my heart, I choose that you're going to be the Lord of my life. God's looking for honesty before him. 
end with this quote, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a great pastor in the Second World War in Germany. He strongly opposed the Nazis. He was a great German person, believed in Jesus. And just before the war came to an end, he was executed in prison in Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in prison, wrote a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's called The Cost of Discipleship. And about this verse we're talking about, about vows and about truthfulness, he said this, only those who follow Jesus and cleave to him are living in complete truthfulness. Such men have nothing to hide from their Lord. Complete truthfulness is only possible where sin has been uncovered and forgiven by Jesus. The cross is God's truth about us. And therefore, it is the only power that can make us truthful. When we know the cross, we are no longer afraid of the truth. We need no more make oaths to confirm the truth of our utterances, for we live in perfect truth of God. Jesus dying on the cross says that this world is sinful and says that he can be your savior. And when you come to Jesus, you're acknowledging from the depth of your being, I need God. And you're embracing him as the savior and you have truth in your innermost being. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to say thank you that when you speak, you can be trusted. And as I can stand here and testify to the trustworthiness of God, also in this room, every person here, from the youngest to the oldest, can have those exact same experiences. And their testimony can be, God has been faithful. God is totally true to his word. I pray, God, as we face storms in life, that we'd hear the voice of God in those storms, and we would walk with absolute assurance knowing what you have said. I pray, God, as we're facing different challenges that may come our way, that, God, your voice would be there, and we'd hear your voice, and our faith would be in you. And, God, I pray we would live lives that prove you to be true. I pray that as a church, we would prove you to be true. God, we can't heal a sick person, we can't change a life. We can't see a city changed, but you can. I pray our church would be testimony, along with the other churches in the city, that God can change a city, that God can heal the sick, that God can raise the dead, that God can save souls, that God can give gifts of eternal life. God, we just, we just want to honor you today by saying, God, we trust you, that you are true to your word and we will honor you with our lives. In God's presence, let's make a fresh commitment. Let's all of us make a fresh commitment. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. But so often we are. We're often those who say yes when we know and say no when we should have said yes. And I believe God's challenging us, including me, to be truthful, to speak truth, to mean what we say and even when it costs us we will follow through with our word because that's kind of like God does so in God's presence just make that decision afresh today maybe there's some situations come into your mind just now of times when you haven't been truthful and people are living 
with a false understanding of a situation that maybe you need to be honest about now. We'll make that decision before him just now. people are praying I'm going to give you an opportunity today if you're here today and you know in your heart I don't think I'm saved I don't know God but I want to know God I want to be forgiven I want to have eternal life if that's you today then I believe listen I believe with all my heart God loves you. I believe that. And he loved you so much that he was willing to come and to die on the cross so you could be forgiven, so that you could be saved. You might not understand all that. To be honest, I don't understand the the incredibleness of all that. But it's true. And in your heart, it will resonate as true. So I'm going to give you an opportunity just now. If you want to get your life right with God. You want God in your life. You don't want to live without him anymore. You want to live with him from now on. And you're willing to let him be the Lord of your life. And just right now as the the band are playing, I invite you just to pray a prayer with me, a prayer of response and a prayer of commitment where you dedicate your life to him and where you put your faith in Jesus. So that's you, just repeat this prayer after me, just quietly under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you that you love me and you want to save me. Thank you that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, you died on the cross. You died in my place. And on the third day, you rose again. I believe you did that so I could be forgiven. I believe you did that so I could be saved. And today I say, I want to be forgiven and I ask you for a new start in life. I need you, God. Come into my life. Have my life. Jesus, I believe having died on the third day you rose again I believe you're alive right now and today I decide that from now on you should be the Lord over my life thanks for hearing my prayer and for accepting me today as your child we're praying I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer if you're here today and you said you prayed that prayer to God and with all your heart you want God in your life I believe God heard you pray that prayer and I would like the privilege of praying for you just while we're all praying if you're here today and you prayed that prayer you made that commitment just there I'd like to pray for you can you just indicate to me you prayed that prayer by very briefly putting your hand up high 
then putting it down again. And then in a moment, I will pray for those who do that. So is there anyone like that today? Just put your hand up. You prayed that prayer. Slip your hand up nice and clear. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? You prayed that prayer. You made that decision. Okay. Great. Lord, thank you for these precious people today, God. In your presence they've made a decision, they've asked you for forgiveness, they've asked you into their lives and I believe in this moment you've heard their prayer, I believe you accept them, you save them and I pray this would be the beginning of a new life for them where they serve you and walk with you and connect with church and grow in their faith in Jesus name, Amen Amen, my friends who prayed that prayer, before you go one of the prayer team will come and pray with you again so don't rush off Uh, we'd like to pray with you again let's let's stand Uh, let's worship God